0: You're listening to East of the Rockies, the Michigan student softball podcast on WCBN Sports.
1: Well, Mr. Burns had done it. The power plant had won it. With Roger Clemens clucking all the while. Mike Socha's tragic illness made us smile. While Wade Boggs lay unconscious on the ballroom tile. We're talking softball. From Maine to San Diego, talking softball, Manning Lee and Conseco. Ken Griffey's grotesquely swollen jaw. Steve Sacks and his running with the law. We're talking homer Ozzy and the straw.
0: Welcome back to East of the Rockies. Uh episode two of this season. It's been a little bit unusual of a season and Uh, we did the season preview episode and we apologize for uh, leaving the listeners without any content for a long while. But the fact is that uh, there were no home games and normally we sort of reflect on what we saw in person at the Tampa series and other series we go to early in the year. And then the team comes home and we're able to sort of mix uh, what we see on, on, TV with what we see in person. And unfortunately, we hadn't seen anything in person until last weekend. And uh, so it just really didn't feel like we had enough uh, to talk about from sort of an insight perspective uh, to do an episode. But now, you know, we've gotten to see the team once. We'll see them again this weekend at home. And I think we can, you know, now make this kind of regular the rest of the way. So uh, I'm your host, Alex Drain, uh, joined today by Charlie Brigham. And Uh, Michigan's coming off a good series against Maryland uh, 4 game sweep and they enter uh, this coming weekend at 21 and four, a lot to talk about, but uh, Charlie, what's, what's your uh, just first impressions after uh, having finally seen the team uh, at home this last week?
1: I mean, yeah, uh, obviously watching them in person is a lot different than, you know, being able to watch them on TV and, The games I I was at, I called that first game of the Maryland series. Um, It was that four to two victory where, you know, earlier or first inning, Bobian let up that solo home run. And then, you know, we couldn't really get the bats moving. It's the bottom of the order looks fantastic and has since since that start. I mean, Lauren Espin went three for three that game with a double, a single and a home run. And that home run was no doubt gone. Like one of the farthest, hit, hardest hit balls I've ever seen, but that's something you you really love to see because you know, I mean, you look at our just the stats, the raw stats right now. Lexi's hitting what four twenty six or something 4, crazy four sixty four right now four sixty four right now, which is absurd. And she went zero for three that game. And, you know, we're still winning games where I mean, just looking at the lineup, hitters one through hitters one through five went zero for three the other night in that first game against, uh, against Maryland. And we still pulled out a victory. So we're getting great production from the bottom of the lineup. Taylor bump has looked fantastic this season, which, you know, we've had discussions about before, um, you know, is her production at the plate going to negatively affect the team. And so far it's, it's kind of been, you know, a lifeline for us. Yeah. So, uh, a lot to talk about for sure. Um, as a quick overview of, of
0: the season up to this juncture, uh, the first two weekends were played in in Leesburg, and Michigan started four and zero, and then dropped a couple of frustrating two to one losses to Illinois. Uh, went two out of three against Nebraska, uh, and then swept up Wisconsin to to come back home on a winning streak. But obviously, you lose three games early on, and really the story was the the bats not not really producing in the early going, but. Uh, then after coming back to the Midwest, the, the schedules eased up a little bit. You faced Indiana, Ohio State, MSU, and Maryland. Some okay teams, some not as good teams there. Uh, but the, the offense has started to pick up. And you know right now the team has won uh, six games in a row, but 15 out of 16 to really start uh, in a groove. Uh, offense has started to heat up a bit, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But the one pillar of this team Uh, really has been the pitching Uh, they lead the conference in team ERA by a mile uh, with a sub one ERA which I believe ranks number one in the NCAA currently obviously strengths of schedule caveats there uh, but I mean they've been terrific all year long you saw Bobian on Friday
1: night what was your uh, impression of her Uh, you know besides that home run that she gave up in the first inning she was she was pretty much lights out. I mean, she was hitting her spots. Um, that home run, she just kind of, she was up in the count. She was up. Oh, two, I'm pretty sure. And just, you know, left a change up over the middle of the plate to a really good power hitter. But other than that, I mean, she looked really good. She didn't really struggle at all. Try hitting the zone. The, you know, times where she did walk somebody or a count went, went, uh, Like, went late into the count. It was just hitters falling off pitches and making her throw a bunch. It was a lot of long quality at-bats, and, you know, sometimes she was getting squeezed, but she looked really, really good. She looked like the Bobian that, you know, we know and love. Yeah, and that, I think, is the kind of one of
0: the takeaways uh, so far is that, you know, Bobian has mostly remained herself, which is exactly what Michigan wants. You look at uh, her stats, 1.11 ERA, .89 uh, WHIP striking out 122 and 82 in a third innings, you know, that, that is the constant in Michigan's, uh, you know, pitching rotation at the moment, the real story of the season in my mind uh, has been how Bobian in some ways, despite being as good as she's always been, has kind of been usurped. Uh, I mean, right now to me, there isn't actually much of a debate about who is the best pitcher on the team. And that's really just because uh, Alex DiRocco has just completely uh, risen to a new level and you know i mean just shocking uh, at just how good she has become i mean the stats i'll read them right now 0. .41 era 0. .56 whip 160 strikeouts in 86 innings all of those numbers are near the top of the nation uh, allowed 35 hits in 86 innings but what's crazy to me about this is You know, we always talked about for for two years now, Starroco's issue has always been hard contact. That She'd get those strikeouts, she'd cruise, then she'd run into a pinch where suddenly, boom, there's a homer. Boom, there's another homer. Of those 35 hits she's allowed this season, only five have gone for extra bases. Only two for homers, one triple, two doubles. Opponents hitting 123 off of her. So not just is she not giving up hits, not just... She only allowed 13 walks in 86 innings. But when balls are being put in play, the hard contact issue is gone. And suddenly when you combine the strikeouts with that, you know, uh, soft contact off of her. Right now, it just kind of looks indestructible. I mean, obviously, she's got two big series coming up, but we'll talk about that later. But from what we've seen so
1: far, it's just breathtaking dominance to me. I completely agree that what you said about, you know, her struggling with hard contact. I mean, we saw that a little bit last season in down in Tampa and out, in, out in LA, but you no, know, you're, you're completely right. Currently she ranks 16th in the nation total in strikeouts, but that's in 16 appearances, everybody ahead of her. I'm looking at has thrown at least 20 games, if not more, you know, the top few are up in the 29 to 30 range. Yeah. She's just been absolutely dominant in the limited time that, you know she's had so far and that what you're saying about soft contact is is completely right you know because anytime somebody does manage to put a bat on the ball the defense is there to back it up and you know not allowing hard extra base hits or hits in the gap just spells out for complete dominance with which is really the main reason why your era is so low i mean you can strike out as many people if you want but if you're gonna you know leave a leave a change up over the plate every once in a while and let somebody knock it at the fence your area is going to go up yeah and you know she has really uh,
0: solidified herself at the at the top of the rotation and you know what we kind of talked about at the start of the year is that you really want two pitchers that you can trust and that's you know one of the issues Michigan ran into in the regionals two years ago was Bobian was pitching every inning at Starocko at that point just wasn't really trusted now you know Starocko I think He's got to be, you know, your number one, but you have some flexibility to go between those two. Um, Sarah Schaefer has pitched a little bit, uh, four innings on the season. Overall, fine. No, no runs allowed. A WHIP of one. Only four hits given up in those four innings. Two strikeouts. But to me, you know, there's really no reason to go to her unless you're in a blowout situation or there's an injury. I mean, you've got two pitchers at the top of the conference who are just dominant and. Uh, those have just got to be year two the rest of the way Chandler Dennis did appear in one game early in the season one uh, third of an inning only only recorded one out Uh, a hit three walks just really all over the place so um, you know it's pretty much just two pitchers for Michigan that's fine yeah I mean you don't need more than that when they are (laughs) as good as they have been And that's what's carried the team sort of wire to wire, you know, early in the year, you look at some of the losses they sustained early on a two, one loss to two, two to one losses to Illinois. And then a loss a a few weeks ago to Ohio state, their most recent loss was three to two. I mean, basically if Michigan scores three runs in a game, they're going to win. They've only lost one game this entire year when they score three runs. And so, you know, that bar to winning is not very high. You know, all you got to do is put up three runs because right now your pitchers are just in beast mode and it's a
1: pretty good feeling for a team to have. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's huge. You know, especially, you know, in times when the bats aren't aren't struggling, like the other night against Maryland, where your top five hitters go over three. Only having to score three runs is is a huge weight off off the shoulders of, of those hitters off, you know, on the offensive end. I mean, you just go through this six game win streak runs
0: allowed zero one two zero one zero. I mean, it, it's, you know, just throwing up uh, zeros right there. So uh, the pitching has definitely been the story of the season and what has carried the team to this point, but the bats are going to need to, to produce in big moments, including this coming weekend, which we'll get to, but uh, there started to be some bright spots. Some players have started to, to come through. So we mentioned her at the top, Lexi Blair, 464 average, uh, 1,200 OPS right now. You know, she hits 400 as a freshman in 2019. Then last year, I mean, you remember this, then the short season last year, Lexi just really just seemed a little bit in a funk, uh, slumping, just struggled to get off uh, on the right foot, started to heat up a little bit right before the season was, was canceled. But this version of Lexi Blair is kind of what, you expected after she hits 400 you know as a freshman uh this is sort of the natural progression of that four homers nine doubles nine walks i mean just really really uh impressive play from her uh, all around you could say
1: yeah and another stat that just sticks out to me is four strikeouts in 84 at bats yeah you know she's gonna put a bat on the ball that's something uh, did I notice a bunch and I, I, mentioned on a few weeks of the Rockies episodes last year when she was kind of in that funk yeah. in early in the season, she, it wasn't like she was striking out. She was putting the bat on the ball and she was hitting the ball. Well, she just couldn't, you know, find gaps. Was so hitting balls deep to the warning track and hitting line drives at people. She's, she's got incredible speed. I mean, that nine doubles is, is evidence of that. She's going to put the ball, she's going to put the bat on the ball. And I mean, she's looked better now than, than she ever has. You know, coming the last season as a freshman, I didn't really follow Michigan softball before before coming here, and you know, just prepping for those trips, I went back and watched some of her tape from her freshman year, and she looked she looked elite. And you know, watching her this year, it's just even more so. She looks head and shoulders better than she did then. Yeah. So, uh, Lexi at the top of the
0: lineup has has led the way. You know, one of the stories, especially early on, was an inability to hit for power. The team had one homer. Uh, in their uh, early stretch of the season, let me see exactly what that stat was. Uh, yeah, it was uh, one homer in the first 11 games, but now they have hit 20 in their last 14. Um, the the power bats have started to really heat up. Uh, the team lead in homers uh, is Lou Allen, who hit two on Sunday in the game I did against Maryland. Uh, she uh, hit one in the first inning and then the one, I believe, again in the third, uh, both really, you know, uh, showing off the power that we always sort of knew was there. And uh, you have to think she is now the team's primary power hitter, hitting in the three or four spot normally. Uh, And then the the other option for power besides Lexi and and Lou is Taylor Bump, who we kind of have talked about at different points in the past, but her batting average now up to 294. On base at 360, and you know, chipping in four homers a couple very recently. The power has always been there, but there's starting to be more contact made. Still 14 strikeouts and 68 at bats, uh, which is near the top of the team. But overall, uh, she's shown enough power wise for me to feel very comfortable with her uh, in the lineup. And that combo of of Lou and Taylor Bump giving this team two power bats, which they desperately need uh has really um you know i think led to the offense kind of kick a little bit since that early slump
1: yeah i i completely agree i mean you look at the lineup and there's so many so many names that stick out as players with speed and you know if just really all it is is you know like we said you only need three runs to win a game pretty much you get somebody on base and you know you put a hitter like lou or taylor bump up there and even if they don't hit a long ball you know something something hard and something towards the gap, you're you're going to score, and it's that's great to see Taylor bump ramp uh, her production increasing uh, at least contact wise. I mean, last year in Tampa, we saw her hit a few home runs, and other than that, she struggled. That's really all she could do was you know it was it was basically if she hit the ball, it's going to go far, and if and if she you know doesn't hit a home run, then she's going to strike out. But I mean, her average hovering just under three hundred that's that's huge. I mean, you look at the you look at the stat sheet. There's five hitters right now with averages over 300, and then Bump sitting just under it. Yeah, uh, and then as we mentioned earlier,
0: Lauren Esman has started to to come through for the team a little bit. Uh, Esman uh, only one homer on the year, but it was the the big one we talked about uh, from Friday night a few other extra base hits as well. She hasn't gotten as many as at at bats as some of the other players, but uh, has just been on a tear. I think, I think the stat is nine for her last uh, 10 for her last 18 uh, at the plate. So, uh, and she snatched that uh, designated player role. And so now you kind of have a start of a semblance to the lineup where you have Blair uh, Rodriguez, Allen, uh, Carson and Jimenez, who we haven't really mentioned have both been pretty steady about what we expected before the season and then you throw in Bump, you throw in Esman, and that gives you a pretty concrete uh, order after a sort of the start to the season where Lexi Voss got some at-bats, Thais Gonzalez got some at-bats, uh, Kiki Thole got some at-bats. They, they tried some different things out, but it, it appears that there is now a lineup right at the time of the season where you really do want uh, a lineup to emerge. The, the last two names we haven't really gotten to are, are – Sierra Kirsten the only freshman in the lineup uh, out in left field not a lot to say about her at least for my end I don't know if you have anything to say about her and then you have Haley Hoganrod so it's kind of the the two opposite ends Kirsten the freshman Hoganrod the fifth year player uh, both scuffling a little bit at the plate 257 for Kirsten 244 for Haley not a lot of power between either of them seven doubles for Sierra though is nice um it definitely would be good to get those, those bats going. Obviously the Hogan rod always a good defensive player in right field. So it is what it is. Uh, But the team average is now ticked up over three Oh eight. As we mentioned, the homers have started to tick up. And so at least for me, it feels like the, the offense starting to, to get it right
1: at just about the right time. I couldn't agree more. That's, that's that's a perfect explanation, and like you said, Kirsten and Ogunod struggling a little bit at the plate, but they're both perfect from the field as of yet. Knock on wood, so you know they're they're doing their part. They're they're producing where they need to. Yeah, for sure. Um,
0: so that is our brief recap uh, of the team and where everything is right now. Obviously, I'll have I'll we'll have more to say probably after this weekend as we get. Four more chances to watch uh, the team uh, play against, you know, uh, Northwestern this weekend and then uh, moving into the later parts of the season. But uh, looking at the the Big Ten at the moment, so Michigan sits at 20 and four uh, leading the the conference right now and sorry, 21 and four. Uh, Minnesota at 22 and six, Northwestern at 21 uh, and seven, and that's kind of the the three-way race we expected. Um, that was kind of what we said in the preview: is those three teams look to be better than the pack. Uh, we should also shout out Illinois; they're at 18 and 10, kind of in this middle ground between all of the 500 teams, because you've got one, two, three, four, four ish teams hanging around 500 iowa nebraska ohio state indiana wisconsin and then you've got illinois in the middle illinois is probably the big 10's best shot for a fourth team in and then you got the big three at the top so michigan has played pretty much that whole middle all those five teams around 500 i mentioned they've all played they've also played illinois they've also played maryland they've also played michigan state and they played purdue so the only four uh, weekend series remaining for this team are kind of a funny contrast the four weekend series are against the two top teams besides themselves and the two teams in the cellar 13 and 14 in the conference so you've kind of got two weekends that are huge and very difficult and two weekends that should be a breeze Rutgers at six and 21 on the year and Penn State at four and 19 so uh, right now tight at the top and Michigan will get their first test against one of those two teams this weekend in Northwestern. But at least from my perspective, it kind of feels like you try and and take three out of four against the two top teams, and then you sweep the bad teams at the bottom. And that's your, your path to a big 10 title. You do that, take care of business against the bottom and, and do enough against the top teams that should cobble together a big 10 title. I mean, that's, that's the way I approach it. You just cannot drop any games to those bottom teams.
1: I I would completely agree. You know, Northwestern is going to be tough. You know, as you said, they're currently third in the big 10, 21 and seven overall. Um, But then, you know, after that, you kind of get a little bit of a, I don't want to call it a tune-up game, but you know, kind of a a tune-up series against Against Penn State, you know, at the at the bottom of the rankings, before having to go uh, play Minnesota, you know, if bats struggle against Northwestern, you, you have that series to you know bounce back a little bit, gain a little bit more confidence before going into Minnesota, and then after Minnesota, you know, Rutgers is Rutgers is Rutgers, but I completely agree, you can't afford at all to drop games to those bottom tier teams. Yeah, for
0: sure, and obviously with your last series, uh, you know, being at home against Rutgers if you can emerge from the Minnesota series still in first in the big 10, you feel like you're in a really good spot to then face Rutgers and try and just clean up, get a few wins there. Uh, and then, you know, put the icing on the cake Rutgers at six and 21 and their run differential is pretty horrifying at, at negative negative one ten. So uh, this weekend series, we'll talk about Northwestern right now. Um, Northwestern's had an interesting kind of, Path Because you look at Northwestern Minnesota, very uh, similar records right on Michigan's tail, but they've done it in different ways. Minnesota has struggled to maintain consistency against the middle tier. I mean, that was something we talked about at the start of the season, not dropping games you shouldn't. Minnesota struggled with that. They have routinely dropped games to teams they're better than. Northwestern really hasn't. The difference is Northwestern got swept. By Minnesota when they played a couple weeks ago which was pretty shocking it was in Evanston Northwestern was at the top of the conference at the time and uh, Minnesota just came through and beat them I mean two games were by healthy margins six to two and ten to four the other two went to extras, so it was a tight series in some ways but overall you know they get swept by Minnesota and otherwise again they've done a good job against the middle tier they dropped one to OSU dropped one to maryland one to iowa but uh that kind of makes me wonder what to expect from northwestern right because the the only other team at the top they play in minnesota they didn't do very well against however you know this is a talented team they hosted a regional two years ago they won that made the super regionals and they were almost all freshmen back then now they're almost all juniors and this is not a team you can take lightly also Michigan hasn't played Northwestern in four years. This is the first meeting between the two teams since 2017, amazingly. So no real familiarity between these teams. I mean, this is a totally new experience here. And so I think that's going to make it pretty fun because we don't really have any baseline of what to expect.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's, you have to expect the unexpected. Like you said, you haven't played them in four years. You kind of know what they have by, you know, watching their film, looking at their schedule. But, you know, until you actually play a team, I mean, at, until after that first game against Northwestern, so until, you know, the late at night on April 23rd, you're not really going to know, you know, who, who you're up against and what kind of team you're facing. Because stats, <coughs> stats can all be a lie, you know. Just it's not until you actually see a team in person and see what they've got that you can tell.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is definitely a uh, a mystery series and it's a, it's a measuring stick because we feel good about the team at the moment. Obviously, first in the Big Ten is nice, playing with a lot of confidence on a prolonged stretch of really good play. But, you know, we're also talking about a team that hasn't played the other teams at the top of the conference. And certainly for Starocko and Bobian, who have been so good this season, this is this is a different level of test, uh, a team with a much better offense than anything they've seen. And so uh, not just is it a mystery of, of seeing what Northwestern is, but it's also a mystery for us of finding out what this team really is. I mean, this is a really big moment uh, where we get a, a better sense of what we're dealing with here. Uh, Northwestern has a pretty balanced team. Uh, they're near the top of the conference in ERA. Obviously nobody is close to Michigan, but they are right uh, in that next tier. Um, and their offense is really good. What I found interesting, and you know, I, I haven't found any stats about runners in scoring position, offense, anything like that for Northwestern, but they have very similar team batting average to Michigan, very similar team on base to Michigan, yet they've scored way more runs than Michigan. They've scored 168. Michigan only has 109. So I'm not sure what that really indicates other than maybe Northwestern is just more efficient at bringing their base runners in and turning them into runs. But that's definitely something uh, to keep in mind, especially because they're not a super big power hitting team. They actually have fewer homers than Michigan does with 19. So uh, whatever it is, clutch hitting, et cetera, uh, that's something to watch out for from my perspective.
1: Yeah. Something I've noticed with this Michigan team a little bit throughout this year so far is that we really struggle leaving runners on base. I mean, looking, just looking at our stats, we have 98 total team RBIs as opposed to Northwestern who has 145, whether those are runners in scoring position or not leaving runners on in general is it's bad. Like it's just bad. Like it's not something you want to do. You know, we said, you know, you can score three runs a game and and be fine due to your pitching, but you don't want to put all that pressure on them. Leaving runners on is, you know, getting them on is one thing, but leaving, leaving runners on, you know, stranded, especially in scoring position is just disheartening.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, and so Michigan in, a, in any big series in softball or baseball, when you're facing a team with good pitching, you got to bring in the runs when you have the opportunity, you got to seize the moment when you have the chance and Northwestern certainly does have good pitching. I mentioned their team ERA. They've actually are a little different than Michigan that they do have three pitchers they use um, and actually four that have gotten at least 10 innings. So the big two and really the big one that we'll probably see a lot of is Daniel Williams, who was big 10, I believe freshman of the year, two years ago, beating out Lexi Blair for that award uh, a one four O ERA 0.87 whip. Uh, strikeouts are there opponents only hitting 175 off of her 111 strikeouts so uh, she's been really really good for them uh, and you have to imagine Michigan's going to get to see her probably in two starts uh, this weekend maybe she'll come in and relief in different games and she did a good job against a really good uh, Minnesota offense two runs allowed in five and two-thirds innings two runs allowed in seven and two-thirds innings so When if it's Danielle Williams and Starock facing each other in a game this weekend, that is going to be a low scoring, really tough game uh, where base runners will be at a premium for sure. The other option uh, that gets quite a bit of work really. Yeah. I mean, Morgan Newport and Lauren Boyd both have pitched at least 30 innings this season. Newport's been substantially better, but actually hasn't pitched nearly as much uh, as Boyd, which is interesting. Uh, Newport was used in all four, uh, games as a hitter. She's a two-way player against Minnesota and she appeared as a pitcher in three of the four games against Minnesota. Uh, two of them, she was pretty good in the third was disastrous. One in the third innings, five runs allowed, just got battered right off the bat. Lauren Boyd, her ERA is considerably worse sitting up at four. Uh, and she didn't fare particularly well in a couple of the games uh, against Minnesota, either so those second options may not be as sturdy, and there therein lies a potential advantage for Michigan in that you may feel more comfortable with your number two in and than their number two or their number three in Newport or Boy. Just going off of, of what Minnesota was able to do to them, so that's again something to to keep in mind as we look at this series. But you know, to me these are going to be some really good games, some really fun games. And I'm definitely looking forward to watching them. I mean, it's going to be tense uh, and with no big 10 tournament, I mean, this may as well
1: be sort of like a big 10 tournament in some ways, playoff style games. Yeah, no, I completely agree. One thing that does worry me a little bit is, you know, like you said, Michigan's top two are better than their top two, just hands down straight up. But once you get past that, I mean, Michigan really hasn't had much, production outside of Alex DiRocco and Megan Bobian, whereas Northwestern is a little bit deeper in the bullpen. So like we said, both teams very good offensively and very solid defensively. These games are going to be tight. They're going to go down to the wire. And you know, if we have to rely on our bullpen, that's where things start to get a little bit choppy.
0: Yeah. Michigan really has not been asked to do that. You hope your two starters can do the work. Normally they can, but uh, you never, you never really know. So I mean, the hope for me is to get three out of four uh, against Northwestern. I think a split is acceptable because I think Northwestern still has a tough schedule the rest of the way. You'd still have a lead on them. I mean, they've, they've still got to play Illinois. Who's again, one of the better teams in the conference and they have to play Nebraska as well. You hope they can lose a couple games there. You like your chances not to lose many games outside of Minnesota Northwestern. So I think if if you go two and two, it's not the worst. It just heightens the stakes against Minnesota, uh, but definitely don't want to to only get one this weekend, especially being at home and knowing how big this series is. So uh, high stakes, very exciting. Two of the games are on cable TV, ESPNU for the Friday game, BTN for the Sunday game. Uh, The Saturday doubleheader will be on BTN Plus with our audio being used for that, which is, a pretty neat feature of this season. We'll also have obviously radio coverage for Friday and Sunday as well. So uh, that's our coverage for that should be very, very exciting. One last note before we wrap this up, uh, just taking a look at the national picture, it's really tough to get a sense of the nation as a whole, because obviously Michigan didn't get to play those big non-conference games. Uh, The coaches poll has got Michigan up to number 20. So you're starting to get into that, you know, seeded range the top 16, but it's tough to know what criteria the selection committee will use this year. Uh, The other thing to note is that this year, the uh, softball tournament is using neutral sites uh, for the regional uh, locations instead of hosts, but we don't really know where those will be yet. I believe they're being announced Uh, at some point, maybe in like a week or so, I think it was late April. So, um, tough to say, uh, what will happen there, but Michigan's got a shot to be in that top 16, but it probably requires, you know, really, really good play, uh, the rest of the way, probably got to win the big 10 outright and you probably have to, uh, you know, maybe go three out of four against both Minnesota and Northwestern, but that's a long way away. And obviously you have to think the team is really just focused on this weekend right now.
1: Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's going to be interesting. Cause you know, this year is weird. as It is only playing conference schedules. You don't get those games. um Like we saw last year where we played you know, teams like UCLA, Washington, Florida, Texas to see how we, you know, stack up nationally. We mentioned that in our, preseason episode of east of the rockies where you know if we dominate the big 10 then we should have a pretty accurate idea of kind of where we sit but you never know for sure especially like i said without playing those um non-conference games
0: and that's the tough thing is that normally you say okay the big 10 is not a power conference um you know for softball but the last time you know the 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 season went to its conclusion in 2019 the big 10 was at a Much an all time high, you had three regional hosts. Two of those three made the Supers, one of them, Minnesota, made the Women's College World Series. And Michigan, I definitely feel, was good enough to make the Supers. Got stuck with a a really tough James Madison team in their regional, but uh, so obviously, you know, we don't know how good the Big Ten is now, but only a couple years ago, it was very, very good. So if Michigan could come out on top, that could pretend good things, maybe it couldn't. So you know, you never really know, but uh. Exciting weekend of
1: softball coming up. Do you have a prediction for these games? I would like to see us, you know, I would like to see us take at least three or four, but I don't see a split being too, uh, too impossible, you know, especially it just, it depends on how we pitch, because, you know, like we said, this our bats could potentially struggle because, you know, Northwestern, very good team, both offensively and defensively. So it's really going to rely on our pitching to see, you know, if it is one of those games where we can just score three runs and, and skate one out. All right. So um, that's, that's that. Uh, We'll
0: have the coverage this weekend and uh, we will see you probably next week uh, reflecting on uh, what we witnessed and what that means for the rest of the season. So for that, Uh, Thank you for joining us uh, and we'll see you next week.